This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend all the way in Melbourne, Megan Mitchell. Hello, Megan. How are you? Hello. I'm good. That's good. I am well in Sydney. How's 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 lovely Melbourne today? Um. Well, pretty sunny actually. Freezing. Um. Because some things have got to be consistent. I'm actually uh, fiddling with the heater just by my feet at the moment. Um, oh, lovely. But pretty comfortable. How's Sydney? Surprisingly cold for Sydney weather. We normally, we don't get as cold as Melbourne. It's yeah. Sydney and I, 17, 18, but with a breeze. So mm. it just, it's colder than it actually is. Yeah. It feels like it's 13 and I don't know what's going on with Australian weather right now. I don't have a huge uh, amount of sympathy for you, I'm afraid. It's kind of, it's... <laughs> It's about two degrees some mornings when I wake up. So look, uh, look, no sympathy because you you work in a cafe, so you have to get up quite early. Correct. Which what's a, what time do you normally start? Um, I, so I usually start at seven. I have so mm. I I work at two different theaters. Um, one I tend to do evening performances like front of house, yeah. ushering stuff, and then the other one I run the foyer area. So. I don't run. Okay. I work there, so I do coffee and uh, yeah, five thirty a.m. Uh, wake ups for me. Oof. And yeah, it's very much single digits. <laughs> <laughs> and and have you got addicted to coffee like before you started these work, or was it during the process of doing this work? Did you get started to get addicted to Ooh, caffeine? I would say. I actually think I'm kind of past that point now. I I was thinking about this earlier. I'm not actually sure how ridiculous is this. I'm listening to a podcast on sleep at the moment and yeah. I, I don't get enough, obviously. And I'm just like waking up early and going about my business being like, yeah, five hours was not enough. And then this podcast is just telling me all the different ways that I'm harming my, you know, my long-term health, et cetera. And I'm just like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And then I just repeat it. But yeah. um. Yeah, I'm actually not sure how much of an effect caffeine has on me anymore, which is worrying. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, I just drink it now. To, I think I have. One, I get cranky if I don't have one by like ten o'clock in the morning, which is. Um, I never used to get cranky, mm. and now mm. I'm, I'm just like I don't want to talk until I've had at least one by ten. I feel yeah. sorry for my partner. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those acceptable addictions, like. There's not many, but <laughs> caffeine seems to be one of them. And I'm like a peddler of this thing. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, the, this is, this is, oh my Lord. Um, so for the wonderful people at home who don't know who you are, and obviously we mentioned a little bit about theatre, but tell everyone out there in the world who you are and what you do. Um, so I work in um, the arts industry in a variety of uh capacities as a lot of us do through necessity um predominantly acting uh both screen and theater uh this year i have been uh exploring writing a little more uh playwriting Ooh. screenwriting and in addition to that because every struggling actor needs a good day job um yeah i work at a couple of theaters as well which is mm. Just such an amazing uh, day job for me because I essentially get paid to watch theatre, um, which is the dream. <laughs> Can I just say it is my f 
I, it was one of my favorite jobs to be paid to watch theater. Yeah. Uh, and and I will never, hands down, I always want to go back and watch theater for free. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. I. It's just because usually people are pretty well behaved. They don't like I, I don't have to do much disciplining in my capacity as an usher. Yeah. Um, and as long as I, I have recently become a little bit short-sighted, so I've got glasses now that I have to wear. As long as I've got my glasses and I can see the stage, I'm I'm happy, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> just, just as long as you can see the stage and you're not squinting. So yeah, and you and and you say you work at two different theaters. One one like as a sort of a barista slash like mm. bar staff. Is it? Yeah, um, um, like front of house. Both of them yeah. are just sort of like a variety of front of house roles, um, usually like customer facing stuff. Oh, awesome! Uh, which I enjoy. The um, smaller it's it's quite interesting as well because one is a massive theater and one's a really small one. Yeah, um, both professional, but it's really interesting seeing how they run differently and um, yeah, just the. I guess the similarities and the differences between them, because it's just, it sort of feels like big leagues and then, um, you know, sort of grassroots stuff and, um, you know, but at the, at the same time, it's like, they're all struggling to get money and looking for grants all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some things are really consistent across (laughs) the board. Do you, this is kind of like always the thing that I, I point out to people, but I find it interesting when people sort of like point it out. Um, do you think it this was sort of very common before the pandemic or very noticeable after the pandemic started? Um, you mean like like getting grants and stuff like that? Yeah, in terms of getting grants, but also just the notice between like both sides having these difficulties and both of them struggling, you know, as the art form is in Australia to survive. Yeah. I mean, well, you kind of saw it globally, didn't you? Like these big institutions that, um, you know, Cirque du Soleil, the Globe Theatre in London, um, these kind of really iconic um, things that were really well established, um, you know, in the zeitgeist and in people's perceptions of theatre. And Mm. they were all of a sudden kind of just as vulnerable as everyone else. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously some, uh, some theatres, some groups, some areas would have been struggling more than others, but, um, yeah, I guess COVID was very unifying, uh, in that way Yeah, because it kind of, and everyone, I don't know if it actually improved anything for the arts industry. I think it raised awareness of sort of the fragility of it. Um, but I feel like some people kind of, became more empathetic, but then others doubled down on, you know, get a real job, that kind of thing. So <laughs> the uh, average has kind of remained fairly consistent. <laughs> yeah. I, I really hate it when people say get a real job because yeah. um, it's it's the dumbest thing to say, to, especially to people in the arts. It's just, it's kind of like a slap on the face um, and, and partially... That's it, you know, like, I think, I think it comes from a generational thing. Mm. Um, I find it's generally, um, you know, people over 60 or um, 70 tend to say it more 
because they came from an, a time where it was like their parents were coming from the war and everything. So mm. it was a little bit more prominent. Whereas we've kind of stepped in this world where a lot of, um, you know, opportunities were, but also the economic kind of like struggles to actually even own a house, yep. which it seems to be the, the common goal. And um, yeah, something that I often say, which is I, I know in my lifetime, I'll probably never buy a house because it's just virtually like the, the price market is just mm-hmm. insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I find that the art um, and, and, you know, and you may, may not agree, but um, I find that the art is kind of probably the thing that people can't live without, but they're very much like the thing that a lot of people ignore. And mm. and even people in the arts yeah. tend to do the exact same. And I don't know if that makes us, uh, like, hypocrites of our own industry. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, there's a lot of people just going, oh, you know, oh, I don't understand why they're doing all these things during, you know. And I'm like, well, because people are kind of, like, leaving houses at the moment. People are, you know, around the world. People are in different states um, of um, stages of this pandemic. So it's sort of like... This is a rolling thing and people are stuck at home or not stuck at home and mm. they can't go to the cinema so or theatre so they get to watch these shows on TV or yep. in, in the comfort of their own um, houses. But the fact that people still say get a real job, I'm like, well, then who's going to entertain you while you sit with your children or, you know, sit by your partner or whatever? Yeah. Like, it's such a weird disconnect that people have, like, you know, they want the product but then don't want to support the production of it. Um, yeah, it's it's almost like like double think. Like <laughs> how can you not how can you not want to support the, the, the creators if you want to consume their creation? Yeah. It it just doesn't make sense. And I think like it can be quite an unfamiliar world and sort of like one, particularly the film industry, I think, like just confusing mysterious like it kind of has this um detached from reality thing to a lot of people because they don't uh really understand the ins and outs of it and I say that like I to be clear I do not understand the ins and outs of it like (laughs) I I have worked professionally and I it is still uh so confusing um but yeah I just feel like it's sort of like this other thing that a very select group of people do because that's you know that's like old Hollywood yeah I was reading something recently about how um people were saying that the uh sort of like the what are they called you know like in the golden age of Hollywood like the um the big massive celebrities that people would go and see a film because they're in it like they don't care about what the plot is or whatever but such and such is in the film we're going to go and see it. Yeah. Um, and that's not really a thing as much anymore. And the closest comparison they could have were like the people in Marvel, which I think is probably the closest comparison. Um, yeah, which I just thought was really interesting because I guess it's sort of a saturation and like I guess because, you know, things have kind of shifted towards TV more than film now, at least yeah. from what I can tell. Um. Yeah, it's kind of, it's made it more accessible, but then also um, just, yeah, not not any clearer to sort of people <laughs> not in the industry. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, the, the problem with sort of like big franchises like Disney that are able to create and, and attach so many names that people would, you know, if you were in the industry or know 
about these people, you'd be like, oh, these people like, you mm. know, like Scarlett Johansson or, you know, like um, Robert Downey Jr. or someone like that. You'd be like, oh, um, but most of the time, you know, people reference characters now. And it's so yeah. interesting because it's so easy to get typecast probably more than it used to. Like you weren't the just dashing Harry. You are now typecast as that character for mm. the rest of your life. Yeah. And it does not matter what you do. You will always be referred to as uh, these three characters or these two characters you played 20 or 30 years ago. And everyone's like, you're still that person. And it's like, I'm not. I've done like my whole resume. But they just go, no, you are that one thing that I remember from my childhood youth. And you see that a lot with old celebrities now, like um, the people who used to do Ghostbusters, like, you know, now, you know. Like um and Bill Murray is you know, as much as he was like anti Ghostbusters, he still you know is like I know I'm such a big part of that film, mm. um mm. and he thanks his opportunity for it, but he does also go, I w- kind of was also in it there for friends rather than in it for a franchise. And yeah, it's, yep. and it's very um, it's very interesting how as an audience people take these things and really kind of like roll with it and and we'll never stop stop rolling yeah. with it. Cuz like the other thing is like I feel like a lot of the time you wouldn't know that your 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 film is going to become a massive hit. Like no. You, you know, I feel like a lot of the time the the or at least in the past they used to be sort of surprise hits and then all of a sudden you are this person for the rest of your life and you thought it was just, you know, maybe a money job or just like a quick little thing that you're doing for a maid. And all of yeah. a sudden it's, you know, cause that famous, um, God, what's it called? The re- um, it'll come to me later, but they filmed it on just this minuscule buzz budget. Like, yeah, don't quote me on this, but like 25,000 or something or like 50,000, like it was a tiny, tiny budget. And then it just, you know, there were t-shirts in target with the quotes from it and stuff. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Like, Um, how could you possibly have foreseen that it would be that popular? Because it's so weird and so niche and whatever, everything just kind of aligned to make it work in that time. And it was hugely successful. And, like, that guy is, I mean, I think he he was in something else as, like, a maybe an ice skating or something. I've seen it. I, no, I've I've seen him around, and he's done a few other things. But it it's sort of like you're right. Like anything that's made on a micro budget, it, it suddenly you know flips, and everyone goes, "Oh my god, mm. that's huge!" Um, and it happens a lot overnight. Uh, I feel um, the best ever short film I ever watched was a making behind the scenes, and this guy got Jude Law. For a cameo scene <laughs> in his short film that's less than 12 minutes in length. And it's on YouTube and anyone can go and find it. But they had Jude Law for an hour for free. <gasps> they had Jude Law for an hour for free to film against a green screen, say this one line of dialogue. And that they did all the VFX later and everything and put him in the film. And it's just kind of like this surreal thing where it's like, if you know of someone of someone and you can probably get these favors, mm. but like, yeah, I like the concept. I will happily do this for an hour. As long as it doesn't bite into my like big work that I need to do, then yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it's always about like, it's, it's not always about who you know, but it's also just about committing to an idea. Mm. And it goes back to that whole idea of just like, you know, idea, it's, you know, people go to me 
all the time now <laughs> since I started this podcast going, how do you know so many people? And I go, I simply ask. Yeah. Because the one rule is if you don't ask, you don't know anything and you don't know if a yes is a yes or a no is a no. You just have to ask like it's straightforward, anything like that. And a lot of the time you're just going to get these varying opinions. And I feel like a lot of the today's industry is quite scared to ask. A lot of it is, um, I guess, sheltered mm. and in a way where they're very feared of their outs- going outside of their comfort zone and going, you know, unless you're an actor and you have to audition and you have to do that regularly. Mm. If you're, um, I guess, you have to kind of like, you know, push yourself out because I know so many friends who want to be big filmmakers and yet they don't always know how to ask people the right questions or what question to ask and it's like just ask people for favors yeah offer them like lunch and talk to them about what you want to do and then they might go yeah sure done i like the idea yeah but um like i feel like that's how films back then started and i feel like the you know films nowadays uh, like, you know, as we talk about TV shows and Marvel and Disney, like, and everything's on streaming platforms and vice versa. It's really hard with, I think it gets quite dominating with all these streamings and these TV shows fluxing in. Absolutely. As these actors and as these creators, we get very scared very quickly and intimidated by everything. Do you feel like that's happened to you at some points or do you feel like you're very good at pushing past all that wave of stuff? Um, no, I find it very intimidating. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole, I mean, one thing, pretty much the only thing I've found that actually helps with that is like, like exposure therapy, like, re- like repeatedly doing auditions or repeatedly being on set, um, mm. which often is not fully within your control. Yeah. So it's kind of, it, it's tricky in that way. But I definitely find that when I'm, you know, I've got, you know, multiple auditions each week, um, after, you know, by the end of the week, I'm a lot more relaxed than I was at the start. Whereas if you go, you know, a couple of months without an audition and you get one, you put so much yeah. um, just hope and stress and, um, you know, rumination on this one audition, inevitably you won't get it. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, whereas if you've got a lot going on and you're just kind of sort of, I guess, like in a rhythm, it is it is a lot less intimidating because it feels more familiar and more like part of your life. Um, but, yeah, hoping for any kind of um, consistency or just, you know, that's that's a lot in the industry. Yeah, because you, would you describe yourself as a very anxious um, individual or a very confident individual? Oh, I swing between the two of them. I would say mm-hmm. it would, it sort of depends on the situation. Um, you know how people ask you if you're like an introvert or an extrovert Yeah, and I'm always like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm in the middle. I, I very much am because if I'm in a group with extroverts, I barely say a peep, but if I'm in a group with introverts, my partner is a software engineer Oh. Um, so whenever I hang out with him and his friends, I find myself doing like 90% of the talking. Um, and then obviously I'm an actor and there's a lot of extroverts there. So I'll often just be, uh, sitting quietly drinking my wine with them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, some parts I, yeah, yep. It's, it's, for me, it's a constant battle of, um, because if you get a couple of wins, then you get confident. And yeah. Then you might even get a bit cocky. Um, 
And so it, for me, it kind of comes and goes in waves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that old adage, like you're only as good as your last show or your last whatever. Oh, I just, mm. Yeah. I very much feel that it's, you know, it's not, oh, but you did some good work a couple of years ago. It's like the last thing you did will make or break how you <laughs> view yeah, yeah. the next little while. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that always feel like, um, I try. I get to a point where I try not to look at too much stuff that I really hate that I've done or, or I've just gone, oh, I don't think that's that great. And then I just kind of sh- slide it to the wayside and try not to look mm. at it. But um, I, I feel like that's, you know, as you say, that's the case of a lot of people. And um, I, I feel like it's the funniest thing because I, yeah, I'm an introverted person. Mm. And like with an extroverted voice box, clearly. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I don't know what to do about that. But I feel like a lot of the time I'll sit when, when people I know are more introverted than me, I find they talk more when they're around me. And I, th- I think it's because I'm just, a, you know, like sitting there listening. And, yeah. and they, you know, as a nervous person, they're probably wanting to fill the gap mm, of mm. air uh, by saying something. And, you know, and I think that's also like the actor's worry. Like most actors are nervous people or they're very mm. anxious, um, whether or not they're extroverted. I find a lot of actors um, are flip between the two, like yourself, they mm. kind of are either extroverted or introverted. Um, but I don't, it's funny because when you play a character, it, you, it's like a switch. Do you find like it's a switch in your head and you can instantly just feel like you are that character or do you, mm. do you, do you find like it's a slow process for you to get to that stage when you play a character and you have to like push yourself into that zone? Yeah. Um, I suppose again, it would take it's kind of both because it's sort of uh, I'll be working at it and I guess it depends how different the character is uh, from myself in terms of how long it takes me to kind of um, mm. find it. But it will absolutely, I'll be doing all the work and, um, you know, I like to do a lot of uh, kind of movement stuff and um, I guess sort of voice stuff as well as opposed to lots of backstory. I because I find if mm. I think too much, then I just get stuck in my head and I stay up there. Um, so, yeah, sort of more like physical and vocal explorations of it. And I'll be doing all the work and I'll be like, oh, God, I'm not getting anywhere. And then it will be like, you know, I'll just, you know, go to a rehearsal one day or whatever. And all of a sudden it will be like a switch has flipped and I like that will be the character and it's like they sneaked up on me and now suddenly, mm. yeah. So it it's kind of both. It's sort of I'm conscious of the work um, and then the character will just kind of appear out of nowhere and I'll be like, oh, good, yes, good. It was worth doing all of that, luckily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get I get that process and that's like, that's a very like, um, you know, I'd, I'd say healthy process more than some actors who kind of just like force, force a lot of the, you know, you know, it to come out and, you know, get to a point where it's very unhealthy of what they're doing to themselves to get that get into their character zone. Yeah. I, I, um, cause I've, I've, you know, trained in method before and I, mm. like I gave it a crack and it, it's just simply wasn't for me. Um, aspects of it. Uh, like I can appreciate, um, but again, they're more sort of like the physical, um, I guess it's not even really method. It's more sort of like sensorial, um, 
like I just remember watching uh, in Orange is the New Black um, the actor playing Red, whose name? Oh, Kate Mulgrew. Yes. Um, Yeah. So she's like, like she's a chef. So like watching her do scenes and she's like doing her dialogue and acting one with a Russian accent, but like two, she's like doing all the chopping and stuff without looking in like this really practiced way. Yeah. And I don't know if that really counts as method, but that to me is, I just love that, like that attention to detail. And that for me really kind of like builds the whole picture. Um, so yeah, it gives me more things to hold on to because if I am shaky in the character or if I'm losing it, if I've got, you know, like a vocal pattern that I've kind of worked on or like breathing or like a particular way they walk or like, like ticks or whatever, um, that will be like something that I can return to and be like, oh, that's right. That's, that's what that was. And it'll be a way in again for me. Yeah. 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 No. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Like. Was it, so I'm going to ask you this question though. Was acting always something you definitely wanted to do at a young age with, you know, throughout your entire life? Was that something you were definitely grounded to when you were a little kid? No. So, um, when I, I was actually very academic at school. I, um, not that acting is not academic, but it's not necessarily academic. Um, I, when I was little, little, I wanted to be an author and then I wanted to be a paleontologist um, and then I don't really remember what I wanted to be for like the next 15 years. Um, but I, yeah, I worked, uh, very hard at school and ended up going and doing, um, an economics finance degree at Melbourne uni afterwards. Wow. Cause I got a good, good grade. And then I was like, well, I need to do something with this good grade. Um, and then I kind of, in my final semester, um, I realized that I, uh, didn't want to spend my twenties working 60 hour weeks, mm. um, with a group of people who I did not really relate to, um, or, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy their company a lot of the time. Um, like I had, I had some good friends there, but, um, on the whole, it just wasn't my world and it didn't, I remember having this really clear uh, kind of epiphany of, holy shit, I have not done anything creative for the last two and a half years Yeah, because I'd been focusing so much on this degree. Um, and I was just kind of like, well, that's not what I want. I'm, you know, I'm 21. I, Mm. I, I don't want that. So, um, what I actually did was because I am from um, regional Victoria originally and I'd moved to Melbourne for uni, Mm. I didn't know how to get started. Like I'd done a couple of school plays when I was in school, but that was, again, that was more sort of like extracurricular stuff because I was so focused on uni. So because like I also did band and I also did sports and I also, you know, like debating, like it was more... A, like a different motivation, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then because um, I didn't know even where to start in Melbourne, I ended up um, going and uh, doing a class in improv because they did not require an audition. You just signed up. Ah. Um, and I was like, perfect. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't do that in my final semester. Mm. And that was 
oh, that was probably the most, um, most anxiety provoking thing I think I'd ever done up to that point. Like my first improv level show, um, all the classes, it was just, I just remember it because it was, I was so out of practice. It was a new world. It was, yeah. um, anyway, I kind of, I had a little bit of a sense of achievement and, you know, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I will audition. And I auditioned for the school closest to my house. And then I managed to get in and it kind of like went from there. And I was like, yeah, this is how I want to spend my twenties. At least like, you know, this is the time when you can explore things and find out what you like. And, um, you know, you don't have to have a babies and have a mortgage and stuff. Now I can, I have time and room to kind of play a bit and fail. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was really nice. And I, I, yeah, I'm very glad I did that. You know, I probably wouldn't have a house, (laughs) um, if I had chosen a different path. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very glad I did. Yeah. Cause it like, I feel like that's the thing as well. And it, and it sounds like it's very much you like, um, cause you know, watching, watching your Instagram and your social media, um, yeah. at, which I, I love by the way, your little rants in the morning about, um, customers coming in is my favorite thing mm, when you have a rant about a my customer. My social media is full of rants. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly just about customers though, I find and, mm. and some other things, but, um, a lot of them are just about the customers. You sure are, um, yeah. <laughs> anyone who has ever worked in hospitality or retail is like, oh yes, they are. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like it's also like, um, you know, you're, you're very prominent in, in, in doing stuff that, you know, talks about the arts as well. And, you you know, but it's good. I think on the other side, it's good to see those people who work in, you know, in other jobs who are in the arts or want to do the arts, because I feel like that's the thing that most people do forget when they're starting. And mm. they they do forget you have two, you know, as we were saying, you have two or three jobs or you're doing multiple different things to kind of make ends meet so you mm. can do the thing you love. And, you know, you were doing, um, you know, uh, paleontology and, you know, and like studying basically bec- to become an academic almost. Um, and, you know, yeah, yeah. You, it's, it, it's, such a, it's such a shift in careers, as you say, but I feel like it's one of those things that um, when you do take that shift, it is like it is very rewarding in a lot of different ways because you know um and yeah there's as you say there's a lot of things that you know that don't succeed when you're in your 20s and you know and like obviously one of the things is owning a house um yeah. but i mean like i think that you you've taken it on with a very like happy you know stance and a very proud stance was that always the case was there or was there definite like did you? I do you still kind of find points where you're like, oh, I should have stayed and done, done what I did before, and you know, like, it, yeah. Has there been tears? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, again, that also comes and goes in waves, kind of depending on like how I'm going with my career. Um, but I mean, I, I. I think earlier on it was very much a pivot because, you know, most of my cousins are like doctors or lawyers or professionals. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I did, like, I didn't really feel the pressure from my parents, but um, kind of like more um, extended family. Again, there wasn't just the you should be doing this. 
Um, but it was more just kind of like they were setting quite a high standard. So then when I was like, actually, I am, I've, I've got my degree, I've done that, um, but now I'm not going to use it and I'm going to go and um, sink 10 grand into this other course. Um, it was quite funny. There was, there was definitely a moment where my grandparents came on board because initially it was sort of, they, again, it was that thing of like, they didn't quite understand what it entailed or like yeah. what having an agent meant. Did I get a regular income? Was it, how did I get, th- how much did this pay? Was, was this paid? What, what do you, what on earth do you do in, you know, acting class, like that kind of thing. Um, and I, I can't remember which commercial it was. I was in a commercial and my grandparents saw it on their, on their TVs back home in Warrnambool. And, um, it was very much, there was kind of like a flick there over to, oh, she's doing something and she's making money from it. And this is okay. Okay. I see what she's doing now. And it wasn't like they were unsupportive before, but they were sort of actively supportive after that and a lot more sort of interested and they were like, oh, I see now. Yeah. Um, so even, you know, I mean, commercials are, are great for, um, you know, getting money for like a day's work sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, not fulfilling long-term as, you know, an acting career, but um it was just, it was, it was really nice sort of having this thing being like just kind of a thing to hold up and be like, see this, this is, uh, I can make money from this and I am doing something. I'm not just sitting around at home and my grandparents are like, great. And they had that to hold on to. And yeah. from then on, it was, it was quite a bit easier to sort of like navigate that, which was nice. But for me personally, I guess, um, yeah, I revisit it all the time. The thing is, I always come back to like, like when I'm thinking about it, I'm always just like, okay, so say you dropped, you know, acting, you dropped writing, you dropped everything in the industry. Um, what would you do? And there's always a couple of ideas that float around, but I'm always like, okay, mm, not really. And then I'm like, okay, so pretend that you're, you can't ever act again. How do you feel about that? Uh-huh. And that's when I'm like, oh God, that that would be devastating. Um, and that's how I know that I'm not like I'm not ready to give it up for a nine to five because that idea of never being able to do it again is just so painful that, you know, maybe I just need to look at it a different way or incorporate something else into it. But the idea of giving it up completely is sort of at this point, not something that I could really handle, I don't think. Yeah. And I totally respect that and also love the fact that your grandparents are now fully <laughs> supportive oh of God. your decision. I mean, I'm currently in a duck ad that's playing um, like Love a Dark during um, MasterChef. And oh my God, I swear. my Because my nan is, she, she's getting old. And so every time I see her, it it's, it, she's told all her friends about this duck ad. And every time I see her, like on the phone, it's just, oh, Meg, I saw you on the TV again. It's just like, you know, Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's very sweet. She She's so happy. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's it's so really sweet. cute. <laughs> 
Oh, bless. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that energy of someone just going, um, but it does show that she's very, very proud of you. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, like, also probably, you know, in some sort of form, you know, some people would think that you've met, you know, you've made it or you're in something. So therefore you've made it to something. Um, you know, are you one of those people who believes in making it and or? you know, defining it? Because I, I know a mm. lot of actors talk about making and a lot of artists talk about making. What's what's that to you? What is the making it aspect? Mm. I mean, for me personally, if I could make, if I could make it uh, my day job so that I would have a good income uh, purely from um, like projects in the industry, yeah. that would be fantastic. That's kind of like that would be pretty ideal. Um, I guess because, yeah, I did used to have sort of that naive, idealistic idea of um, what making it was like, oh, you get a TV show, you're set. Yeah. But, you know, quite a few of my friends now, uh, like they're in, like I've got friends in Hamilton. I've got friends in main stage theatre productions. I've got friends who are series regulars. And when they're not doing that, they go back to the call center job that they left or they go back and they do that job at Zara again. Mm. Or like, so even these people who, you know, look like they've, they've made it, it's, there's no sort of reliability in that sense. And it's not like, I think as well, that's particularly Australia, just because there's such a finite sort of amount of work that you can have. Yeah. And so, you know, even my friends who I think are very, very successful, um, yeah, they might have a lull period. They might do a lot of work for a couple of years and then have a year of almost nothing. And, you know, maybe they'll be living off their savings, but maybe they need to go and just get another regular job. Like it's, and I, I think that's not something that I, how I imagined it would be back when I was younger. Um, yeah, I very much used to think that like once you've got a TV show, that's like it, it's all yeah. up from there and that's super not the case. Like No, and it's, yeah, it's it's very much like, you know, the, the, also the thing that I feel like, you know, you there's so many misstarts, you know, what do they say in America, like the pilot season. Right. And and you get all these pilot characters and, and you might, you know, they might change someone because the producers don't like it or the network doesn't like it or, you know. Yeah. Or they just don't want to pick up the pilot. And the amount of times that you see pilots and actors go through pilot season and even famous actors go through pilot season, mm. actors who you think, why do they need money? And so many times, as as you say, they actually do. And a lot of the time, mm. you know, um, it, they're not actually paid that great unless it's good box office returns to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, yes, I think Australia is quite fortunate at the moment because a lot of international films are coming here now to film. Mm. But there's a flip side to that coin, which is and they're not always taking Australian talent like yeah. in terms of acting talent. So it's a little bit of they'll take Australian crew because there has to be a certain workload exactly, yeah. of Australian, but it doesn't mean they have to cast Australians in those roles. And yeah. that's where your flip point goes. So we've got all these amazing, talented actors, 
struggling to find work even when the things come here like is there a film or something that you just kind of go oh I wish I was on that but there is no chance in hell that you see yourself on like because of the whole like you know almost like red tape I mean I I get that a little bit because I have you know very well-meaning relatives and friends who were just like oh did you see such and such is in Melbourne he's filming something down at you should just you should just pop along and get an audition Meg and it god it's just it irritates me more than almost anything else like they could be like you're you're a terrible artist you shouldn't be in this and it would probably bother me less than this really well-intentioned just naive um offer of assistance like it's because and again that's a symptom of them not quite understanding exactly how yeah scarce um opportunities are for people um but it's just yeah that thing well you know when you hear it a number of times it just grates on you and it's just like oh yeah cool I will just go get an audition for that and I will just get that role and then I'll just pop in there and then I'll just do the thing and then I'll um I guess uh I know that they're doing a Lord of the Rings thing. Yes. Which I I am quite tall. I'm nearly 5'10". Okay. And, you know, I feel like that would work as like as like an elf or something. Um and yeah, I guess there's cuz I don't really fit the like the beachy sort of uh vibe. I I ha- was on Neighbours, which was really um, surprising to me um, <laughs> because I, I, yeah, I just had, you know, that idea. I guess it's more sort of home and away, but of the like very tanned, very blonde, um, yeah, lovely looking uh, people. Um, yeah, but um, that, because that was, that was such a good experience. It was, it was an odd experience because it was during just as COVID was coming in was when we were shooting. So I had sort of one scene in a couple, in like two different locations and the me exiting and me entering was shot like a couple of weeks, two or three weeks apart. Um, and so, we, yeah, and it was just the difference in that time frame. Like we weren't allowed to have extras. They had to do with this magical camera trickery. They were trying to get crew, I think, to um, sort of fill out things or something. It was like, it. I have so much respect for neighbors. Like the the crew and the cast were just so welcoming and so lovely. And they must see so many of, um, you know, the guest stars and like the, all the day players all the time. Yeah. But it was such a mach- It was such a machine. It was so efficient. It was. It felt like a family. Yeah. They were all, you know, talking. Just oh, how's how's your mom's husky going? You know. Up Aww. in Queensland, like you know, just such thoughtful, um, really familiar, comfortable, competent people, and yeah. it was it was such a great experience. And um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what it was like not during COVID, um, because that was the point where it, it yeah. was still very early days, so everyone kind of didn't even really understand what it was, um, 
Yeah. I've gone way off point. I can't even remember what you asked No, me. no. <laughs> Look, I love the fact that you went off point because I just loved hearing about Neighbours and that just made me very happy that you had such a wonderful experience. Cause... Yeah. Oh, my God. And I just, I could talk about it for so long. It's because I, like, I think I watched it because um, my Nana watched it and she, um, oh. yeah, um, that was also another thing that she loved telling people about. My <laughs> biggest fans, grandparents. Um but um, I reckon I watched it when I was younger and then I kind of, um, I, yeah, I watched it for a bit. I think it changed channels and then I stopped watching it or something. Um, yeah. But just, my God, the you know, the amount of work that the actors do, like watching them analyse, because the thing is, right, this is this in such a unique position, the writers for it, I don't know how long the writers have been there, but odds are the actor has possibly been playing that character longer than the writers have been writing. Yeah. And so they actually know the backstory better than the writers who are creating the character. So, you know, they'll be like, oh, we're doing this again. I already did this a couple of, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. We had a very similar interaction like this. I would say it like this because of my history with this person. And just watching them, like it's literally like another life. Like they they have this other life, and they're they're bringing it in. They're being, like they have such complete conviction in who their characters are, and how they interact with everything around them. And it's just it's so cool to watch because also they have so many scenes that they're shooting. They're shooting out of order. They're shooting back to front. They're shooting. Um, massive, you know, emotional scenes or dialogue scenes. And yeah. Then it's just, it's so impressive. Um, and yeah, I just, I had such a great experience working, working on set. That's a, that, that's fantastic because I feel like, um, yeah, Neighbours, Neighbours gets this very like, a high turnover mm. um, and a little bit like everyone's just really super judgy of Neighbours because of that whole like it feels like a bit of a soapbox drama when you watch it yeah. but I feel um, it is the training ground and it's a, it's a great way to train and a really fast way to train your skill set. Um, I know a couple of friends who work on um, have been on Home and Away as well. Mm. That's another one that just kind of like steamrolls you through and just kind of makes you do all these things. And they, you know, both Neighbours and Home and Away just have weird budgets and mm. they do all sorts of like um, different things. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that you just, because they're there and they're such a great e- entry point, I don't know a single person who probably hasn't been on at least one or the other kind of thing. Like it, it feels like, you know, the Australian staple, if you haven't been on it, you you know, or you haven't been to one of their sets, it's a very odd scenario for you not to yeah. have been involved. I mean, I will say I, um, cause I, the, my friends who have also been on it, because it's always the question you get asked, right? Like it, by yeah. very well-meaning people. Oh, what have I seen you on? Have you been on Neighbours? Maybe it's Home and Away in New South Wales. Um, yeah. But and so now I can be like, yes, and then inevitably they'll be like, oh, well, I don't watch it, so it doesn't matter. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, great. I'm glad we've gone through this. Um, yeah, I will say that was my experience as, you know, a white woman. Um, because yeah. they, like, I know that they have, you know, got some flack recently, um, 
and given that it's NAIDOC week this week, that's, you know, yeah, probably um, an important point. Um, so, yeah, I think given that it is such a, um, just such an institution, I think, you know, they have great capacity to do well on all fronts. And, um, yeah, I think they're taking action on that, which would be good because I had a great experience and yeah, um, I would like everyone to have an equally good experience on the show. Yeah. I mean, like, look, you know, Australia, we, we are changing how a lot of, you know, not just as white actors get mm. to be in the front screen. We are sort of diversifying. Um, like my partner is working on a ABC kids show, which stars, um, a, um, like, um, like an, Black woman, I don't know what nationality she is, like what um uh indigenous background or anything that she is, but um which uh I've never asked. Um but yeah, she is amazing. I watched an episode and it does it, you just wouldn't notice. You really wouldn't notice. Yeah. It's sort of a kid's but I think the thing that works about it, it's um called Mickey versus the World. Cool. Um so if you do want to search it up, it's really cool because Mickey's this character, she's a psychologist for kids basically, but she wants everyone to come in and they keep talking about, you know, diverse topics like uh, what it means to be included, what it means to be, you know, healthy, what it means to be like, what's gender identity, what's all these things. So they're really like taking all these topics and for the ABC, which bear in mind was pretty white for a while. Yeah. It feels like they're going in the right direction. I think one thing that, you know, like my partner said, she she went into these things and said to me, it's like, look, there were a lot of guys in a, you know, wh- you know, white guys talking about these issues in a room. And she was like, she was like, I'm nervous to raise this opinion that um, mm. this isn't an okay thing to do. And she did. Uh, but it, it, it it's, yeah, without, you know, the context of things, you've got to raise these topics and, you know, and just push them forward. Because, you know, if you don't raise that, the fact that a lot of white male writers are writing for female characters or, yeah. you know, writing for Indigenous or, um, you know, any sort of background you are, yeah, it kind of makes it poor form. Like, it just makes everything kind of go, oh, do you actually understand what it means? Because, you know, I've had these discussions. I remember having years ago a discussion with one of my friends over you know, um, what it means to be colorblind and, or, Mm. you know, or, you know, and I feel like that even as a topic is very much like it's, it's still that very much, you don't know where the right side of the coin sits. And, you know, some people will say it's really bad and other people will say, look, it's probably not that bad. And then other people will say it's fine. And you just kind of like, no one has a real solid answer. The world is gray. And I find it so fascinating that we argue extensively over what is right and wrong. Yet being an arsehole to someone over any difference is just wrong. Yeah. Like that is that is the fundamental, I think, when it comes down to if you're pinpointing it, it's just don't be a dick yeah. to someone who is different to you. But as people and, you know, we tend to kind of like go, well, you know, and I say this as a, um, a privileged person going into this world, I would have a lot more opportunities than, say, you would. Mm. Um, because of just gender specific and how the world would society would see me. Um, that is fucked yeah. in, in I so mean, many ways. Going back to my economics finance degree, that was yeah. like a big part of why I was like, I don't really want to work in this industry. It was, yeah. I could 
you know, count on my hands the number of other women, well, other white women in like my lecture halls of hundreds. Yeah. Like it was, it was very male heavy. And there was, the, it, the gender um, spread wasn't as bad. Um, there was quite a few international students also studying. That was a bit more even. But like in terms of, um, you know, white Australian students, it was, you know, I knew all of their, all the women's names because there was so few of us. Yeah. Um, and those are the people going in and making decisions about finances. And, you know, some of them, like this is not, I'm not generalizing, but these were specific events that did happen to me where I'd be in tutorials with people in third year and they'd be complaining that their mom packed them cherry tomatoes for lunch and they don't like cherry tomatoes. And it's like, I'm sorry, your mom is still packing you lunch and you're going to be going and working at a big firm next year and managing people's finances. Like, and it was just, it, yeah, it was very frustrating because I felt like I, and also just coming from the country, there was also that kind of, like, I don't have, you know, a super strong Australian accent or anything, but um, even, you know, I don't know if you have this in Sydney, but in Melbourne, it's like a real thing where like, oh, what school did you go to? Like that is like the establishing, I had that at uni and I was fully unprepared for it. Do you have that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was like, but I, because I went to a public school in a regional town, so they didn't know what it meant when I said my school name and I didn't know their fancy schools. So they'd say the name of like the fancy private school that they went to and I didn't know what it was and I therefore didn't give the appropriate reaction. And I had a lot of these awkward kind of stilted interactions because, and then eventually I learned what they were. (laughs) Um, But it was, I was just like, you know, coming into it, I felt, you know, kind of like on the back foot, in a number of different ways. I mean, like growing up, it, it, you know, I went to two, um, you know, two public schools and, uh, you know, primary school and high school, which was like Sydney secondary, um, secondary College. But that even had, like we had two campuses. One was in Leichhardt, one was in Balmain. And then in year 11 and 12, they had to merge. Mm-hmm. So year in 11 and 12 was based at Blackwater, which is in Glebe. And so the two campuses would come together and they would have to merge for year 11 and 12. And the hierarchy of these two campuses that were public schools would still bicker amongst who was better mm. for where they were located. And it just got silly because by the end of it, you were just like, we all, we're all here to study. Like, we're all here to, you know, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, I don't care. Um, but yeah, there's a whole, um, like, I know my brother, he went to um, a um, selective school. And he's trained to be an academic. But I remember I was like, I'm not interested in uni. I'm the only one of my um, parents and my brother to not go to uni. Mm. So I, you know, I did um, tertiary education and everything later and just study media. But in saying that, you know, the people will still kind of go, oh, so you didn't go to uni? And you go, yeah. And they're like, oh, mm. so what qualifications do you have? And you're like, plenty. Like, I could list you the things I know how to do. So yeah. do you want me to list them? And they're like, oh, yeah, but that's not on a piece of paper. That is fancy. And I've got here. like, Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It, it, you know, I, I'm 29 now and I graduated in 2010. 
And that to me just feels like 11 years of my life that I'm still trying to convince people that I know what I'm talking about. And I don't think they'll ever stop because I feel like a lot of people who are old now still do the exact same thing. Yeah. But I, I do think, um, you know, that, yeah, it's drilled into private school and high school education systems and especially people who get into managerial roles or anything like that, that they become like, oh, I'm smarter than you or I know how this thing works because I'm better. Mm. And it's like, I don't care if you're better. If you're not willing to show me how it works, I don't give two fucks like yeah. how good you are. Like show me how it works. And, yeah, it comes down to ego, I feel like, with, with um, uni students and uh, like going, oh, I've got prestigious schools and look how great I am. It's mm. like, oh. um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like people like that. I get very like, very irritated with with snobbery. Yeah, and and hierarchy and people who just think they're arrogant as fuck. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's fairly universal because it just it appears everywhere. Like, because you know, there's. Even, you know, the the acting schools in Australia, <laughs> like all the jokes about about NIDA and VCA and WAPA gets a few, but I feel like it doesn't bear the brunt of it like NIDA, you know. NIDA gets so, you know, I always, yeah, NIDA gets heaps of brunt. Um, VCA probably gets a little bit, but I, I know NIDA gets heaps. Like mm. NIDA, mm. I hear a lot about Um but yeah, I don't hear anything bad about Whopper, really. Yeah, neither do I. I just, in my head, I associate it with Hugh Jackman, <laughs> and he's such a widely loved man. He is so nice in interviews. Ever since I watched him, I'm like, how are you this nice and charming? Yeah, I saw one where he was getting interviewed by a, a guy that he'd taught when he was a when he was a secondary teacher or something, and he, he remembered him like 10 years later, and the guy was so flustered, and he was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you remember me. And he, Hughes just like yeah and like used his name and was like how are you and I was just like oh this is such this is such a beautiful authentic thing <laughs> happening right now <laughs> yeah uh that's that's a yeah that that's always the thing but I, I I take it you're you're someone who's very humble as well when it comes to your own talents and everything or are you very you know do you know you're very clever I mean I try to be humble it's I think I would I would I sometimes overshoot it, I do, and, um, you know, beat down on myself about things that I don't need to. But one thing I have learned, which is not particularly helpful, um, not so much with theatre, but particularly with screen, I have an atrocious, um, like, internal barometer for my performance. Really? Because I've been in takes before for, like, um, I I shot something oh in the tw- end of 2019 and it was it was in Sydney actually and also um in New York we were mm. shooting and I just remember a, a couple of um scenes on that there were takes where I almost I almost stopped I almost I was just like this is just such a bad take and you know, I was like, oh, God, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just finish it. It's, oh God, I, I need to do another one. And then we'd cut and they'd be like, yep, we got it. I'd be like, the the one that just happened, the one that I just did. And then other times I'd be like, well, yeah, nailed that one. And they'd be like, no, 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 we need something completely different. And I just, I don't know what it is about screen, whether I'm over analyzing it to the point that I just 
reverse it. Um, yeah. But yeah, pretty consistently, I I get it wrong, even when I try and account for you know like overcorrect. I I'm still just yeah. I and that's I operate a lot better um, having other people uh, directing me and telling me what they need from it, and then. I'm like, yeah, cool. Yep. Good. I've got some stuff to work with. I'll, I'll, I'll try and do that. Have you, have you ever thought about like voice acting as something of an avenue to take up? Look, I have considered it. I don't really know how to get into it. I like, I could find out. I could find out. Um, yeah, I have always sort of, when I was younger, I used to always get put in like in primary school, I would always get like the narrator role because I had like a mature voice. Um, and then, I don't know, I became an awkward teenager and, you know, early 20s and I, I got a lot of like vocal fry and I, I, I think I just lost confidence in my voice a bit. And then mm-hmm. just this year I feel I did a show in um, – I think March maybe. And yeah, I was like, oh, actually this is coming really easily because, you know, like theatre voice is so important because, you know, unless it's a massive area, it's not mic'd yeah. um, and people need to be able to hear you. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, again, all those, you know, vocal exercises that I've been doing and like work I'd done on this is finally showing up in something that I'm like, yeah. oh, actually – yeah, I don't mind the quality of my voice anymore. Yeah. I've always been super interested in accents. I, I the interest doesn't quite translate <laughs> to natural skill. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm bad at them, but I, I I don't know. I just I watch these people on TikTok just nailing them, nailing like boom, 20 in a row. Yeah. Let me take you on a tour of the UK and the US and then we're going to jump to South Africa. It's just, and they're good. And I'm just like, how, how are we doing this? Um, Yeah, I would like, I would like to explore it more because it does interest me. Um, But yeah, I've like, in my experience, like when I've done ADR for things, that's another one where I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good take. And they'll be like, absolutely not. Um, and I'll do, I'll do one where I'll just be like, oh, we'll just give it a shot. Like, just see what happens. And yeah. then like nailed it. Perfect. And then they put it, cause I have no concept of how it sounds and how it looks put over the film. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it'll get better over time or if this is just some kind of disconnect that I have to live with and hope that other people are being honest when they tell me if I'm being good or not. I I think people are very good at being honest when it comes to creative stuff. Like, because mm. you want the best product. So I don't think they're going to lie to you and be like, yeah, that was good. Like yeah. and, and look panicked. Like I don't think they would want that because that would that would then make them feel like they haven't done their job. And yeah, you know, yeah, I feel like you know, as, as an actor, you know, you are the plaything uh, or the or the clay to kind of bring it all together. Which sounds really like a weird when you phrase it like that, but it's it is essentially what acting is. It's like a malleable thing to bring your skill set and then 
move that into the character and bring it to life. But yeah, ADR is a completely like I've I've had to you know re-record a scene. This was years ago, and we filmed this scene right next to Sydney Harbour Bridge, mm. which. It's colossal noise, like pollution. So you would just have cars going left, right and centre. And we had this private conversation between two characters and they were just like talking quietly next to each other. I wasn't there for the actual day of recording. Mm. I was editing this film. And I remember sitting later and just going, oh, God, what have they done? Like, all this audio is unusable. Yeah. And I remember having, this was back when I was at TAFE, and we went into do TAFE, um, into the TAFE department, into a sound booth, re-recorded with the actors all the lines and just did an entire two and a half minute scene with re-recorded dub dialogue over the top it wasn't half bad yeah we managed to sync it pretty well but part of my brain was just going <sighs> like i just i i wanted to die like yeah there is there is nothing worse than having to go back adr is like the last thing you really want to do mm. you don't ever you know adr has to be for throwaway things really yeah um and if it's if it's sacrificed for big things then oh boy you are recording the wrong kind of stuff mm. but yeah it's 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 one of those things that i i know it's also not the fun thing for most actors it's it's very much a um you're out of the moment and you're not really in it as much. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that I know um, David Tennant, um, who does his own podcast, talks a heck of a lot about how much he hates ADR and oh, how much really? he has to go in and, and yeah, and do it. And he just goes, it's, it's so annoying because he's he's a actor who likes being in the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I love those podcasts. I I love listening to them. Yeah, it it they're so interesting. Um, I was thinking I, uh, the art center is showing Tim Minchin uh, at the moment, oh. um, which is which is lovely. Also, he's little little plug for what a good guy Tim Minchin is. He um because we're in Melbourne at the moment, we're only allowed to have a particular capacity. It meant that half the tickets for his show that he's been trying to do for ages, um we weren't able to have them. So he's, he's basically doubled the amount of shows that he's doing for like the same money. So he's like doubled the work that he's going to do just so that enough, like everyone can come and see him. Oh, that's so, which so I nice. thought was lovely. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember listening to the Tim mentioned David Tennant podcast um, and just being surprised because um, yeah, just all, all these people, I'm, like it sounds so obvious, but that's not what I imagined they would be like. Like they're very down to earth people, and yeah, um, and a lot of the time, it, you know, this is the thing that I I think, um, you know, it was part of the reason I started this podcast was to realize how many people are actually really similar to each other mm. because we all come from somewhere, we're all trying to get somewhere, but it's just you know. It's just this long journey and, and it's a fun journey, but it's, it's like, you've just got to be willing to kind of roll with everything and, uh, you know, and just, and just see it through because it's not always going to pay. That's one of the things I say to people. It's not every gig's going to pay. Sometimes it's big passion projects that, you, you know, someone absolutely mm. loves and you'll go, actually, sure, I'll do that because, I want to be involved. And then other times you'll be like, I will only do that if I'm paid and uh, see you mm. later. And then sometimes you'll be like, that's a great one. How much am I getting from it? 
um you know like it has to be you know there's always a weird shift in people's opinions but i definitely know that that you know like um you know i'd love to try every medium mm. you know, every uh, every ability to to do any kind of like theater film you know radio uh, you know whatever you can do and create something because it's just such a weird wonderful magical thing that we get to do and mold something into existence and then sort of show it to random people who might judge us very harshly yeah <laughs> for what we've done um th- th- is that something also like um you know you're you're very much like prepared for um you know because in the next 10 years, where do you sort of hope that you're kind of like steamrolling towards? What is your, you know, other than just kind of like having this as a financial job, is there a, you know, you talk about like wanting to be on Lord of the Rings and everything, (laughs) you know, is there a particular role where, you know, especially as a female artist, because, you know, we've talked about like, um, you know, whitewashing and, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, sort of like um, sex classes in the, and um, in the workplace. Do you feel like there's roles that you will hopefully get that don't depend on your, you know, who you, um, your gender and, you know, your specific identity mm. and just more on what you can bring as an actor? Are you hoping one day for those kind of roles? Or do you feel like it's going to be a while until that kind of happens? I mean, I don't know how long. I feel like we're definitely moving in the right direction. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... I do, I am shifting more towards kind of thinking that I would like to create my own stuff Um, because I, yeah, I actually, like I said Lord of the Rings because that would be awesome, but I very much am more of a comedic actor Mm. because I, yeah, I performed uh, like live improv comedy um, for a couple of years, um, like pre-COVID. And, um, yeah, that sort of like, I don't know, I, I, I'd never really thought of myself as like funny before and Mm. able to write funny things. And then, yeah, it just, it's that thing of, um, if you're not exposed to something and if you never do it, you might not actually even know if you're good at it or if you like it, or maybe this is actually such a cool thing to try out. Um, and for me, of course, like, as I said, improv was just sort of like a convenient option at the time. And I just happened to do it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really cool. I, cause I mean, obviously it, it's, it's a nice skill to take into acting cause, um, a shocking amount of, of things I've done and people I've worked with are like, no, we'll just, we'll just improv this. Um, you know, or just like, let's do a little bit of improv and inevitably it ends up as the thing they use um and they've probably labored over this script for so long um yeah I, so i have definitely found like not being scared of improv is um a nice skill to have yeah um yeah i guess writing my own stuff and um obviously performing in it i have i have such a soft spot for theater and i know you know there's people always said that there's no there's no money in theater um and I guess unless you're at a very high level like it's or doing it like back to back it would be difficult Mm. um but yeah like I I love the classics I would love to do some like main stage uh stage productions like um with MTC with Malthouse with 
I mean, those are just the Melbourne ones, but, um, and yeah, I, I don't know about whether I keep tossing up about whether I will stay here, whether I'll go to the US, whether I'd go to the UK, because those are kind of like the things that I, that I'm pondering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a couple of years ago, um, like in, we were, like, I was sort of thinking about uh, moving overseas mid last year, Mm. um, which obviously was derailed. Like I had a visa for the US and everything. Um, but yeah, it's obviously like, I don't want to plan anything for this year. I don't even want to really plan anything for next year. Like, I'm just, I don't think, I think I would be jumping the gun a bit. Um, because it's, it's literally impossible to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, both with the industry and, and with the country and, um, yeah, I'm trying to very much to lean into the uncertainty and try and do the things that I can do that I have control over, that I have agency on, agency of, um, because yeah, there's just some things like I can't control when the borders open. So yeah, I can prepare for it and I can, um, you know, look into things that are going to help me, but, um, Yeah. I mean, ideally I would have made some stuff like in 10 years, right? Ideally I would have made some stuff that I'd be really proud of. Yeah. Um, I would have, uh, done some classics, like some, some theater classics. I would have like, I love Shakespeare. I do. I, you know, ugh. Love it, love that shit. Um, really? Yeah, I do. I feel like people. I I didn't in high school, but that was because we had to study it, you know. So, and I feel like so many people don't get past that point. Like, I feel like high school just ruins Shakespeare for people. Yeah. Um, not everyone. I I managed to like get over it, luckily. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you can have all these aspirations. But ultimately you can't really control them. Yeah. So it's more sort of like I can control myself writing a show and trying to get funding for it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like putting on like a small independent theater show or whatever. Like I can control that stuff at this point. Um, and I, I'm trying to, uh, be practical and realistic in what I'm doing because you do like, if you do get lost in like these fantasies of what's going to happen, um, it can be fun, but it can also be really exhausting and really disappointing and, um, yeah, just really, um, kind of, it, it, it doesn't really become about, um, the craft and the thing that you love. It becomes all this other stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, ideally I'd like to, I don't know, maybe I'd like to have a house <laughs> in 10 years. <laughs> I've just been talking about property a lot lately, which is hilarious because I'm not in a position to buy. Um, but yeah, my friends are starting to buy. That's And like <laughs> starting to have kids and get married and I'm just like, oh my God. I'm like, I was sitting in the car before I came in here looking at a TikTok of a dog and just being like, oh my God, I wish I was with my dog right now. I wish my dog was here. And just like 
had a little teary because I miss my dog. I literally saw her this morning before I left for work. <laughs> You're getting emotional. This is great. <laughs> I mean, like that's a, that's the thing as well. Like, um, you know, one of my friends is talking about buying a house now, and that's sort of like, oh god, um, you know. And sh- she's younger than me, and I'm just like, oh god, yes, you know. And her right. and her partner have been together for like eight years, uh, seven, eight years, and then just like, oh, yeah, we're going to buy a house because, um, you know, her parents live nearby and they they want them to live in the air, and it's like, okay. Whereas I'm just like, um, you know, my partner and I, we're just like, oh, we'll go travel when the borders, so whenever they open mm. and or live somewhere else, you know, that's um, not Sydney. But, yes, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's one of those things that, as you say, you can't really predict where the the hurdle is going and you know and the funny thing that i say to everyone in sydney and you know sydney folk need to shut the fuck up uh, <laughs> is w- w- we were you know in every other state actually um we were so fortunate in in the pandemic in terms of lockdown as mm. compared to you guys and and in melbourne there was a great article i think that one of my friends um posted and was just like the rest of Australia will not understand what Melbourne went through. And I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. And I just think that um, the amount of pressure that had to go on through, you know, everyone staying home and, you know, in the death tolls and everything, it just felt like Melbourne became its own bubble. Mm. And, um, and you know, from an outward perspective in, in Sydney, everyone was like wandering around the streets being like pretending like there was no pandemic and you just see ghost town in Melbourne, like, you know, just the whole city dead um, and all my friends. And now all my friends in Melbourne just go and kind of like, you know, a couple of them will just go, now you're understanding the pain again, like just, you know, to us Sydney folks, because they're just like, you know, you've, you teased us for so long. So, you know, here's a little bit of taste of your own medicine. Oh yeah. And I think it's a little bit of a dark humor to it, um, you know, obviously, but it, it, how did you feel when, you know, obviously because, you know, lockdown, if you've, how many lockdowns you've had, like what, three, four now? Um, or at least four. I think, I think we just came out of the fifth one. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, so in 2020, I was actually living in Ballarat, which is about an hour, just over an hour outside of Melbourne. Mm. So um, we had what was called the Ring of Steel, uh, which was during the big bad lockdown um, We where people weren't allowed to leave Melbourne. And so Melbourne had its own super, super strict restrictions and the rest of Victoria had um, like not as bad restrictions. Yeah. And, um, so even then, like I, cause I was like, I was living with people. I was living sort of, um, not in a city. And so like there was forest and stuff around me. So I was, um, I feel like I didn't like, even I didn't get the, the brunt of it compared to, you know, like my, my sister was still living in Melbourne and so, and all my friends and stuff. And that was the other thing. I couldn't see my friends cause I couldn't go into Melbourne and they couldn't come out. Yeah. That one I've like, it was like, it was hard for me and I know I had it easier than other people. Um, but the, the, for, I think the last one was in terms of morale, it was, I think it was one of the worst really um, because it felt like we'd had the the rug pulled out from under us like it really did it we'd done so much work we were at you know barely had to wear masks it 
um, except on public transport. We, mm. it, it was, it was ticking along almost as normal. And then all of a sudden it was just like this awful bad dream that had come back. And, um, yeah, coming out of it, it was very much like when <laughs> it's awful, but there was, there was schadenfreude when Sydney went into lockdown. It was like, and then the rest of the country, briefly, yeah. it seemed like it was, yeah, it was very much just like you wouldn't wish that on anyone, but um, the impact that it had like on mental health, on um, just relationships, on jobs, on stability, on confidence in the government and other people and Australia, like everything, it it impacted every aspect of your life. Yeah. And um, I mean, again, Melbourne compared to other countries, like, you know, we had um, you know, we had majority of the deaths um in Australia in Melbourne, and we had, you know, like a more people get ill, but compared to other countries, even that we got off super lightly. Yeah. So like it is about context, but it's, yeah, I, I feel like there's probably a little more sympathy or empathy at least, um, from the other cities now. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. And I feel, you know, wholeheartedly, um, you know, and, and this is Sydney's second big lockdown. Mm. And even the thing here is, the, the fact that we the first lockdown was stricter than this lockdown, but it feels like this lockdown is more severe in terms of strain. And mm. it's very interesting that a lot of a lot of what we feel is frustrating, especially in Sydney, is the fact that the government and the local um, government have not really communicated very clearly what the regulations and rules are. And they keep, like, I'm a very distrust of Gladys um <laughs> but she keeps going in and I get she's stuck between a rock and a hard place but she, every time we have an you know a press conference from him um from her she goes stay home um you know only go out and it's like but the last time there was a lockdown there was no shops open unless they were necessities mm. like JB was shut like everything was shut you ordered like online so they didn't open anything except warehouses. And now it's just like you can walk down the street and movie cinemas are still open. Oh, wow. Like, and I'm just like, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with people when we've got this strain going around and not everyone's vaccinated? It just kind of baffles me a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I say to people now at work, you know, if, if everyone is willing to, you know, you know, do this in society, then why the hell should we abide by it? Because at this point we're all doomed to fail and, mm. you know, everyone's not really banging by the rules. But I do say the plus side out of COVID is the traffic is non-existent and it is <laughs> flawless because of lockdown. So I, t- I take that winning grain of salt of yeah. the situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's super weird. Um, yeah, the couple of times I had to drive around in Melbourne, um, it was just you got you got places so early. You're like, what do I, what do, I do now? I can't go anywhere because everything's shut. So I'll just stay in my car. Yeah, I'll stay here for 15, 20 minutes while I wait until yeah, my exactly. shift starts. Um, yeah, I mean, like that's kind of the thing, and it, it just kind of 
I feel in Sydney and New South Wales, we just really haven't stuck to our guns in terms of like, um, in, you know, in terms of the way Daniel Andrews did. And he just kind of like went, no, nope, this is the way once it kind of like got into a routine, he just went, no, nope, we have to do this. And I think also I have so much praise for Jacinda Ardern, her, you know, mm. and her kind of like, she'll have a case and then suddenly it's like a three day lockdown or she'll go like a week lockdown, just guys knuckle down, yeah. stay home. Nothing opens until uh, the following week. And if we had that in, you know, every state of Australia, man, would we probably demolish like half the problems very quickly. Totally. It's just, yeah. The sh- it's, and I, I went to, you know, like I went to my um, local GP today and talked about that whole vaccine stuff, which, you know, like everyone's talking about the AZ, the, you mm. know, Pfizer and stuff in the debate. Um, and he was like, just wait for Pfizer if you feel, but if you're anxious, go get the AZ, like, you know, just, but do what's right for you. Like, don't do what's right for the government in, in, in per se. It's do what's mm. right for you as an individual. If you, you know, in the long run, get the vaccine, but which one you want is entirely up to you. And I was like, it gave so much control back into, you know, and I feel like there was such a good response and, you, you know, he printed out a pamphlet and everything, but I feel like, the problem I find with, you know, people going, you have to get this or you have to get that. It's like, well, no, let people go to their their designated doctors yeah. who have looked after them for 20 years and who know well more about medical research than, than clearly they the person who was going to the doctor does and let them talk to them because they will feel less anxious, less stressed and in a much better, you know, and also this is the thing I say, which, ever, you know, like my mum will always text me. She texted me, like, there's two local spots that got COVID um, casual contacts in my suburb. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a text two days after they got announced. And I found it so funny because I remember when the lockdown happened, was starting to happen in Sydney, I said, are you safe? And she was like, what are you worried about? Don't worry about this thing. Like, it's fine. And then a couple of days later, she's sending me texts going, have you been to these locations? Like, have you gotten, and it's like, oh my God, like, (laughs) where does the balancing act like start? Where do you start like getting worried? And when do you not start getting worried? Like, do you find that? Do you find that's the case with you know, like your parents and your grandparents? With it, was there very much like did they not take it as seriously as you did when it started? Um, well, again, they're not located in Melbourne, uh-huh. which I think is different. I think they, yeah, they took it seriously enough. I think, um, possibly a little back in like Feb March of last year when we didn't quite know exactly what it was and how it, like how you got it and you know yeah, yeah I think it was possibly a little bit of overkill there um but yeah I think they're appropriately uh cautious of it now they were a little concerned in the last one because where I live in South Bank of Melbourne it was like at one point um my apartment building was surrounded by a ring of uh tier two exposure sites and um i my partner and i were just going and getting tested every week like we we actually never we never went to any of the places at the times of exposure or whatever yeah um some of them we missed by an hour there was more than one um but we just went and got tested fairly regularly just because why not um and there's sort of that element of fatigue where like initially one would appear in South Bank and then I'd have texts from, you know, all my family and my friends being like, oh, have you checked this out? And then eventually it was like, there was like 20 in South Bank and they were just like, oh, she's, 
she's probably got it. Like she probably, she probably, you know, has checked and is taking care of it. Um, yeah. So I think as COVID's gone on, it's just very much because you got to, you got to ration, um, you know, not your empathy, but like how much bad news you can take and how much, um, like the capacity to deal with how awful it is. Yeah. You know, like some days I'm just like, no, I don't think I can read the newspaper today. I think it's just, (laughs) you know, because it's, it it takes a lot out of you. Well, for me, it takes a lot out of me emotionally and a lot out. um, Yeah. Just mentally trying to consider these things and particularly when they pertain to the future, um, yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, the ocean was on fire yesterday. That's not, you know, people have been making memes about it, um, you know, like crazy, but that is absolutely a coping mechanism because that is, you know, that's bad. And that's kind of the start of the future that we're going into. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's very much something that I kind of, I'm like, oh, that's one too many stories of like, you know, war crimes and atrocities and, um, you know, awful, irreversible climate change things that I can read today. That's that's enough. I need to go and do yeah. something. I'll go for a walk, you know. <laughs> Recuperate and, and get my <laughs> sanity back. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, that's... It's a shame because I feel like media itself is fear-mongering mm. a lot of it and just trying to make us fear the world. And, you know, part of it is, you know, as you say with COVID-19, I, I, like, I like memes, but only when they pertain to, like, movies or stuff that I know is fiction um, and not set on real-life events where it makes fun of, um, you know, really awful, awful situations. And I think... You know, we're living in this bizarre world where everything is now a meme Mm. and everything is a gif and suddenly, you know, anything you say will be, like, just spun and I just don't know how to kind of fully comprehend other than just go, you know what, fuck it. If someone wants to spin what I say, go for it. Um, I will counterfeit it with like um, counteract it with some full sentences and dump it straight in front of them. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just I find everyone's trying to, you know, in a way, out to get everyone in a lot of way as well. Like, there's a lot of that in media. Um, yeah. Do you find that's the same thing in your in your experience? Um, do you remember that um, uh, the consent uh ad about milkshakes oh vaguely yes or the milkshake thing about consent that was happened recently so um one of my one of my good friends um is the actor in that the one that was memed continuously um and that was super interesting um seeing how that kind of cycle of outrage followed immediately by memes um followed by like you know news stories and stuff and then um will there be change will there not be change it kind of just petered out um but that was really interesting because um yeah that was like sort of personal insight into like oh that's 
that's how that happens and like kind of seeing the life cycle of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously that was kind of, I mean, that was just a thing that the government did badly. It's not like, um, you know, um, climate change stuff or like, you know, massive issues. Um, I mean, having said that, I would rather that than like um, just, you know, people – I, f- I find it often like, you know, especially things like Twitter, so negative. Like yeah. someone will say something and then people literally, I find myself doing it. Like you look through it and you're like something that is problematic or something like a critique or, yeah. you, you know, you can just, someone just said this thing, it's their opinion. They're not, you know, being, you know, openly antagonistic to anyone um, you could just let it be, but people tend not to do that. It's like it's this weird sort of um, reflex that seems to have developed and that um, yeah. that can get quite exhausting, I find. I would rather I would take stupid jokes and like dark humour and memes and stuff over that because um, I don't want to call it cancer culture even though that's kind of what it is because I think yeah. um, I just don't think cancel culture really works and I think it's one of those terms that's been taken over um <laughs> just by like you know older conservatives who like latch on to you know oh yeah a, a, a new word and just start using it so much that it in the wrong context that it loses its original meaning and now it's the thing that we quote when we're trying to make fun of them. Yeah. Like it just, it's a meaningless word now, you know, like the, like the whole snowflakes thing. I mean, that was never really our word anyway, but, um, yeah, it's just like, no one uses that except for people who are trying to make fun of younger people. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's just so exhausting. Like I know it's, I can't be like, why can't everyone just be nice to each other on the internet? Um, because no one has ever been nice to each other. Like before the internet, it was, you know, tabloid magazines and, um, you know, people finding out juicy gossip on, you know, the society pages or like things about celebrities. Like it's always existed and it'll probably always exist because, you know, people love it. Yeah. But yeah, it's so personal now and it's like real time. It's like I said something and, you know, I made a mistake and then people don't seem to accept apologies anymore. No. Or the apology is really insincere um, and like performative. And it's just, it it whole, all feels like a, a big old farce or just like a bit of an act. It really does. And I feel like, yeah, it's, my God, it, you just hit the nail on the head of a lot of that because it really does. And, Everyone just, you know, apologies or, or people just like to feign things and just go, oh, you should have, you know, you know, my favorite quote is like people just going, oh, you know, just imagine I said that out loud. It's like, no, you still come across as an ass. Just yeah. choose the way you say it. Like, and um, how you phrase stuff. Don't use, like, if you want to be cr- critical of something, don't, you know, write profanities in an email. <laughs> like, like, just be very polite and then go and list the things which are wrong. You know, no one wants to hear constructive criticism, but some, if you say, oh, it's fucking awful, it's shit, someone's going to never want to work yeah. with you again. Like, yeah, you can you can be critical of something and then and not burn that bridge at the same time. Like, Yeah, 
and it and it's amazing like um how many people who just don't have that filter and and don't really have that uh, that kindness or that uh, that uh, that awareness. Yeah, because I feel like it's a social media thing as well. Not always. Like sometimes people are awful yeah. in real life as well. <laughs> but I feel like, um, particularly again, I feel like I'm ragging on older people all the time. But we are talking about social media. Um, <laughs> just like y- they don't quite have the tone. Yeah. Sometimes, like an understanding of it, and they would say things like you know all those um just like screenshots of you know just someone's dad or someone's grandpa posting comments on um like like pictures of like sexy women and it's just like this is public and it's on Facebook so your comment is showing up to all your friends and you've just commented like very sexy on like a woman in a bikini or something it's like this would you do that in real life? I don't know you personally, but I just, I feel like there's like this etiquette or this, this filter is just completely removed when they're typing it. Yeah. And it's just, it blows my mind sometimes. And I've, you know, I am probably a bit meaner online than I am in real life because I don't like confrontation, but then I seek it out um, online occasionally. <laughs> Usually in the um the comments section of um my town's local newspaper because they, um they always run these really inflammatory posts about nothing and everyone gets really angry in the comments and I just it's like my vice it's like my one thing I get in there and I'm like oh anyway I digress. I could talk, that would be another one of my rants because I just, <laughs> like I've started, I've started recognizing the people and being like, oh, this person, oh, I knew they'd show up for this article. <laughs> and it's always, it's because it's small, it's like a small town newspaper. So the news, like there's this ongoing debate about whether uh, the town needs a second KFC and people get so heated and it's, it's, yeah, it's unlike anything else. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite thing ever. I just I need to read this forum now and just appreciate everyone's rage. Yeah. Um. Yep. It's. I mean, if you're friends with me on Facebook, I comment enough that it'll probably show up in your feed. Um. Yeah. I'll tell tag you next time. It's like literally the only thing I use Facebook for. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I'm going to use that as a perfect point to wrap us up. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> anecdote and cool story. Um, but no, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear all the um, wonderful things that you've been doing. Yeah, thank you. No, and it's been an absolute, um, absolute pleasure. And yeah, you've had an extensively interesting um, time on this planet so far and hopefully it just gets m- more wonderful as it goes on thank you that is such a lovely thing to say that's one of the nicest things someone said <laughs> oh I'm glad um, and where can people find you um, Megan where can people seek you out um, on the socials I so my Instagram is <laughs> Megan Mitchell official um <laughs> Because there is another, there are several more famous Megan Mitchells than me. So I was like, I'm going to get that name. Um, 
what else am I even on? I'm I infrequently use Facebook and Twitter as we've discussed. Um, find me on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. Um, I've made a couple of videos. Oh yeah. Um, recently after a year of lockdown, m- me being like, oh yeah, I'll do it. This will be my year for it. And then I didn't make a single one. I just watched them. Megan Mitchell official on TikTok and on Instagram. Um, on Twitter, I am <laughs> Megan Tay Mitch. <laughs> oh, this is all right. Obviously, I've identified something that I need to work on, and that is <laughs> my own <laughs> promotion. <laughs> this is the best promotion segment ever. You can say the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Do they normally go for like several minutes? (laughs) No, that's the first time ever. Someone's gone, I can't remember. Everything's Megan Mitchell official. I, yeah. Come find me. Go and stalk her. Um, but no, this is the Things We Do podcast. If you want to go and check out more episodes, you can check them out right here on Apple and Spotify. And I'll speak to you all next week. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.